Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. During the month of May, I am talking about our church DNA, about what it is for us to be Lewiston First Naz. Oh, kids can be dismissed to children's church. It's too late. They've been dismissed, huh? They dismiss themselves. Okay. I'm, during the month of May... We'll just reset here. During the month of May, I'm talking about our first NAS DNA, what it means for us to be the church that God has called us to be. And at the beginning of the month, I told the story of how I gathered a diverse group of folks from within our congregation, and we sat down together over the course of a couple of months and worked out what we believe God is calling us to for the future. And we wrote down a vision statement that we believe both identifies us and calls us to be a little bit more than what we are currently. And so the vision statement that we've written down, you've seen it every week. Here it is in the, on the screen. It is, Lewis and First Naz is a growing community of all generations, intentionally following Jesus, graciously doing life together, joyfully serving, and loving everyone. And so each week during the month of May, I've been taking one of those bullet points, and we have Two more Sundays in May, counting today, and so I'm on the second to last bullet point, joyfully serving today. Our our strategic planning committee tried to work out what we mean by each of these bullet points with a little bit further definition under each one, and the, the definition that we've written down for serving joyfully, or joyfully serving, is actively growing and making connections between living networks of service opportunities and resources. Now, this is still a work in progress. It's not perfect. We're still fine-tuning, but this is more or less what we envision as a church that serves joyfully, that we would have service opportunities all over the place, and that we would be communicating better than we currently are the, the opportunities that you have as part of this congregation to serve but then that we would also have resources, human resources, the financial resources we have available, space resources, whatever resources might be needed for ministry to happen, and we would would have those resources ready to plug in to the ministry opportunities that that people see around our, our community or around our church or within our church. So these, this is the idea of all of, the, all of the bullet points in our vision statement, of all the things that we talk about as, as a congregation of our vision of what we, what we intend to be, this is probably the one that resonates the most deeply with us as First Naz. We are a church that serves. We, we are a church of doers, my friend Todd likes to say. We, we are a church that, that gets things done. We're a church that when there's a need or, or an opportunity to serve, it just gets filled. This is the church that, that does that. And so we, we have incredible servants in our, in our congregation. And, and I believe, and I think we would agree, that this is our identity outside of the walls of the church as well. I think people look at Lewiston First Naz as the church that gets stuff done, the, the church that, that is into the community doing things, making things happen. And we have people that do this professionally. Like we have Christine King, the executive director of Life Choices Clinic. We have Steve Thomas, the executive director of Family Promise that are, is a part of our, our congregation. We have guys like Terry Beatles that's the chief ringleader of the Interlink Volunteers Ramp Building Crew. And anytime anybody in the community needs a ramp built, 
through a, a nonprofit that's not a part of the church. Terry gathers up a group of guys and they go build a ramp at people's houses. And then we have people who have, through the ministry of our church, made incredible impacts in our community. We think of, of people like Rick and Julie Burke, who are, they oversee currently what we call our mobile ministry that includes our food bank and various feeding ministries that we do around the community. They were, were instrumental in what was the rock and ministry to, to the poor in North Lewiston. They, they are incredible servants and seen in our community as leaders in ministry in that, that way. We, we have folks like Jay and Angie Durding, who as, as an outgrowth of their passion for family and adoptive, uh, or foster and adoptive families, started the ministry of, of Homes of Hope. And, and Jay and Angie have stepped away from Homes of Hope. It's, a, it's its own going concern currently, but Jake continues to be like a nationally recognized expert on some of the issues that families face with foster and, and adoptive situations. And he, like every time I talk to Jay, I don't see him this morning, every time I talk to him, I, didn't, I, I don't know if I'd embarrass him with this or not, but every time I talk to him, he's telling me about another training he's doing, another conference he's been invited to speak at, another podcast he's on called to be the expert. He is like nationally known and sought out as an expert in, in these areas. And it's, it's incredible as a part of First Nas. He, he does that. And in addition to those services, servants, uh, our church directory is just full of people that I could call in case of emergency. Like, there is just no limit. You can just, if, if in our church directory, you can just open it up and, and point. And in case of emergency, you can call whoever you get. Because everyone in our church, our, the heart of our church is to serve, to be open-hearted, to be generous, to be ready to, to drop everything at a moment's notice and say, there's a need, here I am. What can I do? How can I help? Tell me, tell me what, what I can do. And that's not to mention, that's not to mention the countless hours, hours and hours and hours of people who spend, uh, that people spend here in the church week after week serving in the nursery and children's ministry and youth ministry and adult Sunday school and small group leaders and our stewardship and finance team, our greeters, our worship team, our tech team, our security team, our board members, our missions council, our Embrace Grace leaders and prayers and supporters. And I keep going on. And I'm gonna, I missed somebody, and I apologize for those that I missed because I know that I missed people, because there, there's a lot going on in the church that I don't even know about. I've been here just over a year, and, and I'm still finding out, oh, we have servants serving in that way too, around our community or in our church. There are counts, countless volunteers working countless hours, and, and so in order to demonstrate this, I tried counting uh, I tried counting, and I couldn't, I couldn't think like through the whole week because that would just be crazy. But I, I thought about from 8 a.m. on Sunday morning to 1 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. Like, how many people, bare bones, this is like bare bones, if we're going to do what we normally do, like Sunday school and nursery and have a worship service, bare bones between 8 and 1 on a Sunday morning, we have at least 
at least 40 individuals working in ministry and service. That's like almost a third of the crowd we have. That's like a third to 20% of the crowd we have on a typical Sunday morning. That's pretty incredible. Um, we are a, serve, a church that loves to serve. Now, during, during this series, I've been looking at different passages of Scripture that guide our thoughts as we think about each of these areas. And there's a number of places in Scripture I could have gone to look at how we serve and what it means to serve. I, I could have gone to John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and he says, I, your Lord and teacher, you call me Lord and teacher, and if I, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. I could have looked at that one. That's, that would be a good one. I could have looked at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 2 says, uh, don't, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in doing so, some have entertained angels unaware or without knowing it. Um, I could have talked about, about that means of service, that so we never know who we are serving when we serve and I could have talked about that. But instead, I'm going to go to a passage that has been for me a, a guiding light in how I understand what God expects for, from his people, what God expects from, from Christ followers. Um, and it's been a guiding light from me for probably the last, like, 15, 15 years at least. Uh, it's, it's Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. And it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. But before I get there, I want to give some context uh, to Matthew 25. In, in Matthew 25, we're in Holy Week. So Jesus has entered Jerusalem. The, the Palm Sunday triumphal entry is in Matthew 21. And then Jesus is in this cycle of every day going into Jerusalem and teaching, and every day sort of retreating out of Jerusalem and his teaching during, during the days in Jerusalem has a lot of, of it, it's confrontational, to say the least, uh, confrontational with the Romans, the Roman Empire, and, and the people that were like the rulers. And then it's very confrontational toward the religious establishment uh, among the Jews. And then in this cycle, we get to, to chapter 24, and at the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus has been teaching in Jerusalem, and then he, he goes out of Jerusalem. He goes out to the Mount of Olives, and from the Mount of Olives, he looks across the Kidron Valley. He can see Jerusalem, and the, the biggest thing that he sees right there in Jerusalem is the temple. It's just looming large as he looks over at the temple and all of the grounds and all of the buildings around the temple, and he says to his disciples at the beginning of, of 24, he says, you see all those buildings, I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And this is, this is pretty, pretty like fear-inducing for the disciples. The disciples hear this, and they say, whoa, none of that is, like, this is a huge, enormous, beautiful construction. And the disciples say, whoa, what's going to happen? It's, it's all going to be destroyed? And, and then they, they want to know, they want to know, when is that going to happen exactly, Jesus? We would really like to know when, so we can be out of town when that happens. We would really like to know when. And then, he said, and then they, they said, what are the signs that this is going to happen? Like Surely, surely there will be a warning, right? And so in Matthew 24, 
Jesus begins to talk to the disciples about, about well, we use the language apocalyptic. He, he uses apocalyptic language here. He talks about the end times. He talks about what's going to happen. When we read apocalyptic language in the Bible, some, we, sometimes we have to interpret it through the rest of Scripture. Like, we have to, to compare symbols and we have to try to understand. But, but the heart of what Jesus is talking about, he, he says that calamity is coming. The church, the believers, the, the people that follow Jesus are going to be persecuted. The church is going to be divided. There's going to be division within, within the church. But he says the suffering, that won't be limited to the church. Everybody in the world is going to go through a difficult time. There is going to be universal suffering. It will be hard. Uh, and then toward the end of, of chapter 24, he, talks, he starts talking about the return of the Son of Man, his own return. And then at the very end of chapter 24, he's talking about the importance of being ready and being a faithful, a faithful servant of the Son of Man when the Son of Man returns. And then he turns in, in well, he didn't say now chapter 25. He, he just kept telling stories, but we, we put in chapter 25. In chapter 25, he tells the story of the ten bridesmaids. And it begins with this story. There, there are ten bridesmaids. They're waiting late at night for the bridegroom to show up. The groom is going to show up, and they're going to have a party. And five of those ten were foolish, and they, they didn't bring enough oil for their lamps. So it gets dark, they're waiting, and, and they have these lamps, they're supposed to leave the lamp on and, and wait for the, the bridegroom so they can have the party. Uh, five of them don't have enough oil to keep their lamps burning. So they run to town, and then that leaves the five prudent ones, the five wise ones, and they had enough oil, and while those five foolish ones are away buying more oil, the, the bridegroom shows up, and he takes the five wise uh, bridesmaids to the party, and he locks the door, and the rest of them come, and they say, let us in, and they say, I don't know who you are. And this is a story about being, being ready for Jesus' return, about being wise. And then he, he talks about the, the, he tells the story of the three servants, and the story of the three servants is another story, and it's almost like an, uh, he, he's almost taking the words of the end of Matthew chapter 24 and expanding on them, because the end of Matthew chapter 24 is, is about being a wise and faithful steward and servant and waiting for the master's return. And then he talks about the three servants, and the first servant gets five bags of silver, and while the master is away, the, ma the master gives these three servants different amounts of silver. He goes away. While the master's away, the, the servant that had five bags of silver, he doubles it. And when the master returns, he tells that servant, well done, come and party with me. Come and let's celebrate. And then he, he gave another servant two bags of silver, and that, that servant doubled it. And the master comes back, and he says, well done. And then he gave one servant one bag of silver, and the servant with one bag of silver, he dug a hole, he buried it. And when the master came back, he said, here's your bag of silver. It's untouched. You can count it. It's all there. And the master says, wicked and lazy servant. Why did you do that? Uh, and, and he says, 
you, you are thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he begins with the, the parable that I'm gonna, going to look at today. So the way I see it, up to this point, Matthew, between Matthew 24 and 25, we've, we've seen this teaching in Matthew 24, teaching about what is to come. And then in Matthew 25, it's been illustrations of how it will happen. And we, we are to the point where we've kind of gotten to the end of the teaching on Matthew, Matthew 24. So we know, we know like Jesus is expecting people to be faithful servants, to be good stewards, but he's used this weird language. He's talked about like a faithful steward takes a bag of silver and he doubles it. And, and so you have to like, your mind is starting to wander. Okay, so I guess in order to be acceptable by, by God in the final judgment, what I need to do is be a really good investor and double all of the money that Jesus, that God entrusts me with and then that will make me and so, in order to correct that perception, perhaps, Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the goats. And this is what it says in Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. I'm just going to read it. It's a little bit long. Follow along, if you will. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All of the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the, from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see or when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life.
this this passage is really really challenging. Uh, this is a this is a hard hard passage for us. Before I I preach this passage and and I I don't plan on pulling any punches as I preach this passage. Let me remind you that we are saved by grace through faith. That we we do not work in order to earn our salvation. We never there is never a time at which God is going to take a scale and say, your good works outweigh your bad works, therefore you are saved. Never. Not how it happens. We are saved because we believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He went to the cross. He died. He was raised from the dead. We put our faith in him. He is our salvation. Our faith in Jesus saves us. As believers, we understand that we fully we have to deal with scripture uh, like James that says, faith without works is dead. And we have to deal, we have to look face on, and we need to look seriously. We need to use as a mirror occasionally passages like Luke, or like Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is an important passage for us to consider our faith. How is our faith? Because Matthew 25, when, when we look at the parable of the three servants, for example, and it's about investing, right? Jesus wasn't looking for people who just make shrewd financial decisions. Jesus was looking for people who used what was in their hands in a way that honored him. And I believe that then the parable of the sheep and the goats expresses exactly what Jesus expects from his disciples who use what is in their hands well. Is that okay to say? So, Jesus is concerned about how we use the resources in our lives to to interact with, to help those that he calls the least of these my brothers and sisters. And Jesus names six different ways that he expects them to be treated. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. If they're naked, put clothes on their back. If they are strangers, invite them into our homes. If they are sick, take care of them. If they are in prison, visit them. Jesus says, we we do those things to the least of these. In the church, typically, these types of ministries, we've described them as compassionate ministries, right? Uh, we, we think of them, that's kind of the, the phrase we give to this type of ministry. We call it compassionate ministry. We're showing compassion through, through these types of ministries. And in the history of the church, the church has emphasized the importance of compassionate ministry or de-emphasized it, um, not talked as much about it, and we have not, not put as much emphasis on it. And even today, there are bodies and groups, Christians, who put more emphasis on compassionate ministry and do an incredible job with compassionate ministry. And there are, there are groups and bodies that, that don't focus as much on compassionate ministries. One group that focuses really, really, really well on compassionate ministry, one, uh, brothers and sisters of ours who deserve a kudos for how well they do compassionate ministries, it would be the Salvation Army. Salvation Army is feeding the hungry, giving drinks to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming welcoming the stranger. They are, they are incredible, exemplary, exemplary 
church people at doing this type of ministry. Within the Church of the Nazarene, we believe heavily in this, and we are invested heavily in, around the world in compassionate ministry. Locally, we have, I told you about our mobile ministry that does a lot of feeding. Uh, we, we have folks in our church who have asked me point blank over this past year, what are we doing for the poor? We, we, we have a heart. This is, this is a ministry that we have a heart for in our church, in our congregation. And as a body, we ought to be challenged at least by Matthew, Matthew 25. We, uh, we also we have a family in need fund. We have a team that manages that and helps meet physical needs of people uh, who, who come to our church looking for help. And, and uh, this, this type of ministry is incredibly important. We, we, must, we must recognize that Jesus says right here, it's in red and white in my Bible, you know, these are, these are the ways that we are going to be separated at the end, sheep from goats. I, I, I think, as, as we think about compassionate ministry, as we think about Matthew 25, uh, I, want to, I want to interpret it a little more broadly, and, and I'm just going to kind of leave the compassionate ministries part there. I'm probably going to come back to it and talk about it a time or two, but it's, it's so, Jesus like hits us so hard in the forehead with it that I, I said I'm not going to pull any punches, but I'm not going to just like hit that one over and over again. Um, it's, it's so blatantly obvious. It is, it is so clear from Jesus's words that those are the expectations of people who call themselves followers of Jesus and want to spend eternity with him that the preacher doesn't need to preach it that much more, okay? But the preacher does need to continue to talk about how we view compassionate ministry and Matthew 25 ministry in the broader scope of what we do as the congregation and in the broader scope of how we are believers and what we believe we are doing when we are doing Matthew 25 types of ministry. Because I believe that we often confuse and we conflate two passages in Matthew that should be separated and thought of as distinct. We, we often put Matthew 25, sheep and the goats, and, and we combine it with a couple of chapters later, three chapters later in, in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, lots happens in those three, three chapters. Jesus goes to the cross and dies and is resurrected. And then at the very end of Matthew chapter 28, we, we receive from Jesus what is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, Jesus says this to, to his disciples, uh, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, that I am always with you, even to the very end of the age. So the Great the Great Commission tells us to go and teach and baptize and make disciples. This, this ministry of Matthew 25 is, is uh, or Matthew 28, excuse me, the Great Commission tells us to go and as many people as we possibly can 
Tell them the news about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus and make sure they understand it. Teach them to obey everything that Jesus has done. Baptize them. Make them disciples. This is what disciple-making is about. As a church of the Nazarene, our, our mission is make Christ-like disciples in, in the nations. This is who we are as Nazarenes. <clears throat> we believe fully in, we, are, we are a great commission church. We, we are a church that is making Christ-like disciples in the nations. This, this is incredibly important to what we do. It is not the same as what Jesus commands in, in Matthew 25. It is not the same as, as the compassionate ministry that we do. So we, we may, as a part of, of our evangelism, as a part of, of what we are doing to, to teach people everything that Jesus commanded, we may... Uh, we may feed people that are hungry so that they can hear and understand the message. Uh, we, we may, as a part of that, uh, you know, have a clothing ministry. But, but the Great Commission, our, our command, our, our imperative to go and make disciples, it, it really, it, it should not be confused with the ministry we do unto those that we would, we would think Jesus might call the least of these my brothers and sisters. Um, and, and, and so the, the Great Commission calls us to, to save the souls of others, if we can use that language, right? It calls us to, to go and, and share this, this life-saving, soul-saving message of Jesus. Matthew 25 Matthew 25 teaches us how to save our own souls. Matthew 25 teaches us what we must do to, to, be, to be people who honor Jesus on earth. And so Matthew, Matthew 25 clearly calls us to offer compassion. Uh, but it, it doesn't call us to offer compassion with any strings attached. And so, and so Matthew 25, it, it doesn't say, feed the hungry so that they'll become my disciples. It says, feed the hungry. It doesn't say, clothe the naked so that they'll be baptized. It says, I was naked and you clothed me. And, the, and just... Okay, I will hammer it one more time. Just hear Jesus' language one more time at the end of, of Matthew 25. In verses 45 and 46, he will answer to them, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Okay. I see two really important, important things that we should take from Matthew 26 then. Uh, the, the first thing that we should take from Matthew 26, excuse the alliteration. Uh, we're ready for, for a little bit of lightness now. Uh, Excuse the alliteration, but Matthew 25 tells us 
that service serves the soul of the servant. Right? Service serves the soul of the servant. You get it? We, we serve uh, because it, it feeds our soul. <laughs> we find in service that our soul is fed. We, we as a congregation, we would, we would admit to that. It, it also means, again, that we, we serve for the sake of our own soul, not for the sake of the souls that we are serving. So we, we, don't, we don't say, okay, how many people have shown up at church and are attending regularly now as a result of the food bank? And let's see, okay, we can't count that many, and we've spent how much money? Okay, we're going to cancel the food bank because it's not working. No, we don't think about ministry that way. We don't think about service that way. We serve because we've been called to serve. And, and service serves our soul. It is good for our soul. It is good for the soul of the church to have money in our budget that is going into our community to feed the hungry and give a drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and welcome the stranger and visit the sick and visit the imprisoned because it is good for our soul. And so we will continue, as long as I am pastor, to have money in our budget going out of the walls of the church to folks that will never and can never and won't ever repay it. Because it is an investment in, in our Christian life. It is an investment in who we are. Now, the, the second implication that I see from, from Matthew 25 may be a leap, and you can come and you can fight with me about this this week, and I would love to have the conversation. This may be a little bit of a stretch, and, and honestly, I, I, struggle, I struggle making this leap a little bit because I want to leave it, I want to leave Matthew 25 alone, and I just want to make it completely about our service to those that we call the least or that Jesus would look at and say, these are the least of my brothers and sisters. But, but I th Matthew 25 makes explicit those six areas, right? Feeding, giving, I'm not going to go over the list again, but Matthew, Matthew 25 makes it explicit. But Matthew 25 also makes it very clear that that ministry those, that compassionate ministry is done unto Jesus. And so the, the next implication I would make is that followers of Jesus are always serving Jesus. The significance of the, of the service in Matthew 25 is that it is done unto Jesus. It's done unto Jesus. And, and so I have to admit, we, we have to admit, that not every service opportunity, not every area of ministry in, in the local congregation, not every ministry in the community that we are a part of is compassionate ministry. It's just a, a reality. A lot of it is what we do. You know, a, we can get around to it some ways, but teaching youth Sunday school um, is forming our kids. And it's an investment in our body. And, and it is incredibly important. It's not necessarily compassionate ministry. It's not necessarily the six areas that Jesus, Jesus uh, talks about in Matthew 25. But I believe that Greg McCracken, when he was across the street this morning teaching Sunday school, I assume it was Greg this morning, uh, when he was across the street this morning teaching Sunday school, he was, he was doing it as if he was serving Jesus as if those kids 
were the face of Jesus to him. And because he loves Jesus so much, he wanted to share with them the life-changing message about Jesus. And these kids, they, they're pretty amazing. They look a lot like Jesus. Greg serves because of his love for Jesus, not, not for any other reason. When we, when we serve in, in any capacity as, as believers, we serve as if we are serving Jesus. The, the history of the church is full of this great literature of, of people who have served those that are the least and, and see Jesus. You read the writings of Dorothy Day or Mother Teresa, you, you hear these incredible servants through the history of the church saying how, much, how, how the face of this person who, who had sores all over his or her body radiated with the light of Jesus because she loved Jesus so much and she was serving Jesus. It, it, it may not seem like when you walk into a Sunday school classroom full of third graders like you are serving Jesus, but I tell you, Christians are always serving Jesus. And so those wild kids that, that you are serving become Jesus for us when we serve. It, to me, this, this takes on a whole variety of, of expressions within the church. I see it, I see it as, as our people work even in the facilities of our church. We have beautiful facilities. Alyssa and I live in a parsonage. It's, it is the most beautiful house we've ever lived in. It's amazing. We absolutely love living in the parsonage. When, when you had called us, my sister uh, did a video call, and she took, a, took video, and she said, do you want us to paint that wall? you want us to paint that wall? You want and I said, I don't. I, it's the most beautiful house we've ever lived in. We... we We'll live in it. I mean, we had become pretty housing flexible at that time. Uh, we, were, we were pretty okay with whatever. whatever. And, and you know what the servants of this church did? They said, we're going to treat that new pastor and his, and his family as if they are Jesus. And they spent hours upon hours painting and cleaning and putting in new flooring and cleaning and putting in new tile work, and cleaning, and painting, and we live in the most beautiful house we've ever lived in. It's amazing. We love it. It's not because we're so amazing. I'm, it's not because we're so amazing that, that you guys got that house looking like, like you did. You did it because you, serve, you were serving Jesus. You, you, were, you were providing Providing as if, as if, boy, that's really humbling, as if you were providing for Jesus. We, we have money that comes into the church every week. You are so faithful, you drop offering in that box. There, we're really careful with the money in our church. And so never, ever, ever is anyone ever alone with the money in the church this is like an amazing thing that happens here. So there's two people that will take that box, and after service, you know, some, some of those people that are here until about one every Sunday, two folks will grab that box, they'll take it down into an office where we have a safe, and they'll drop all the money into the safe for the night. 
And then there's, there's a couple of teams of two that come in on a rotational basis on Monday. And, and they, they count that. And they make sure that your giving goes to wherever you want it to go, whether it's the general fund of the church or to a missionary or a compassionate ministry or whatever, wherever you're sending. They, they diligently take care of, of that money. And, and, you know, it's a job that has to be done. And it's not particularly glamorous. In fact, it's probably kind of boring. I, I think the Lord looks at servants who serve in that way. And they say, man, that's good stewardship. I gave them a bag of silver and they doubled it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Showing up week after week. To, to make sure the church is diligent and careful with, with people's tithes and offerings. But there, there is service in the church that doesn't look like that, too. In our church, we are really blessed with servants who serve because they serve Jesus. But I have heard of other churches <laughs> where, where people serve in in order to, to gain power in the church. I have heard of churches where, where the church becomes the playground for politics, where, where people use their service to, to put themselves in the position of making others pay, of, of having privilege over against somebody else. I, I don't think any service that that builds our own ego is service in the spirit of Matthew 25. Service is, is to serve Jesus. I, I think that service, that type of service, also robs us of the joy of serving. And as a congregation, we, we, are, we are serving joyfully. <laughs> that's, our, that's our goal, is to be a church that, that joyfully serves our community joyfully serves within and without of the walls of the church. So this week I, I asked my friends on Facebook why they serve in their church, and I got a good response, a good mix of responses from people from every station in my life. I got, like, college friends, uh, people from every stop in ministry, and a good group of First Nazars responded. And, and I think a, almost every response had, had some sense of, of obedience to, to the Lord in it. There's a lot of, of that understanding. I think that's okay. I think it's, it's good to, to see service as obedience and, and what we do in a re, as a response to, to our Lord. Some of my friends outside of, of First Naz talked about the body of Christ and community but almost every person from our church talked about the way that they serve or how serving makes them a part of the body. Like we really believe that, that graciously doing life together and serving joyfully go hand in hand. We serve together. We, we are a congregation that, that believes that service together matters. We, we're people that have found the truth of Matthew, Matthew 25, that the Lord welcomes us into the eternal quality of life as we serve shoulder to shoulder. Like there, there is something 
there is something that happens in our souls. Like, like we begin to taste eternal life, I believe, as we serve joyfully, as we serve together. So, as a congregation and moving forward, we're going to keep serving joyfully. We, we are going to, we're going to attempt. <laughs> we are attempting to improve our communication systems about opportunities to serve. We, we want to improve in, in the area, not only of communication, of opportunities to serve, but we want to improve in the area of knowing what you are interested in serving in. So we can connect people who have ability and interest with ministry that would allow them to, to express uh, those abilities and interests. We, we envision uh, doing just that in the, in the future, and, and hopefully within the next few months, you'll see some expressions of that, of opportunities to serve. I had dreamt about, thought about doing like a ministry fair, and today having people, all of our ministry leaders put up a table and, and talk about their ministry and, and as I was gathered with some joyful servants to talk about that, we realized that what we would be doing is asking already really busy, joyful servants to do one more thing. And, and we want to make sure that service is joyful. <laughs> we didn't want to put another burden on, on folks who are, who are working hard to continue the ministries. And so... Some of us who, who are a part of that group will be communicating and, and trying to lift the load from some of our joyful servants and help you. And so my encouragement as your, as your pastor is, is to not wait, though. Don't wait until we improve our communication. Start communicating. Start asking, how can I, be, how can I help? Where can I plug in? Talk to our ministry leaders. Talk to, to us pastors. We would love to, to connect you with areas that you can serve. There's plenty of opportunity within our congregation. We'll plug you into ministries in the church and outside the church and around the church. We, we constantly have, have opportunities for people to serve. Uh, as we serve, though, as we serve, may we always see the face of Jesus in those we serve. We serve in community and we love community. May we, as a, as a community, serve Jesus. We serve, we serve the least of these because there is great need. May we serve as if we are serving Jesus. May we see the face of Jesus in those we serve. We, we, we teach and, and help in the nursery and, and do ministry all over the, the church because, because somebody's got to do it, right? But, but may we truly look for the face of Jesus as, as we serve. Whether, whether it's ministry with people or two groups of people or it's ministry painting a bedroom in the parsonage, may we, may we look for the face of Jesus and those we serve. Why don't you stand and let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, you have challenged us so much with the message from, from Matthew 25. And Lord, I thank you for this gracious congregation that listens to, to me um, try to interpret this passage in a way that challenges us, 
in a way that inspires us and, and to get out of the way of the words of Jesus here, Lord. May, may his message ring true that you have called us, Lord, to be faithful servants, to be faithful stewards of what you've given us. And that Jesus told us that means that we would give food to those who are hungry and, and water to those who are thirsty, clothing to those who are naked, welcome to those who are strangers, that we would visit and take care of those who are sick and visit those in prison. Lord, challenge us with, with that call. Challenge us, Lord, to be people of compassion, people who look for others to serve but Lord, challenge us to always be looking for the face of Jesus as we serve. Lord, you have given us this call to, to serve him. And so, Lord, may we serve Jesus. Because we love Jesus, Lord. Because he is our savior and he is worthy. May, may we love Jesus so well that we just see him in everyone we come into contact with, and, and so we can't help but expressing our love to them. Help us, Lord, to be people who are actively looking for the face of Jesus so that we might serve Jesus. We believe that as, as we do that, as, as you do that work in us, Lord, we might have, have the ability to honor you and to honor, honor Jesus. But we need your help. And so we ask, God, that by the power of your Spirit, you would work in our hearts. Help us, God. Help us, Lord, to serve Jesus. We thank you, God, for, for this call. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.